Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean episode, I don't even know, is it 111? 111. Ask Mapped now. I don't even know what the heck show we call this anymore. Uh, I am Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here. Um, Co-host, host, host, moderator, MC, whatever you want to call me. I don't care. Uh, um, If you don't know who I am, I started a website 10 plus years ago now called medicalschoolhq.net and started my first podcast, The Pre-Med Years, uh, shortly thereafter. And I was lucky enough a couple years ago to meet the wonderful Rachel Grubbs and we co-founded Mapped together. Um, so Rachel Grubbs, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I love Wednesdays, especially when I have snacks handy. Um, snacks are good. But yeah, Ask the Dean is always one of the highlights of my week. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, lots of experience in the MCAT uh, test prep and pre-med world, sharing your expertise. Thank you for being here. Uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Scott writes, the man that needs no introduction, <laughs> the man that needs no hairbrush, the former oh, director of admissions at UT Southwestern, <laughs> retired executive director at TMTSS. How you doing, my friend? Doing well. I, uh, you know, we're making it in the heat here in Austin, Texas, and uh, you know, we just keep trucking along. Uh, for uh, we we had the hottest July ever in, recorded in uh, Austin this year. <laughs> Climate so, change. Close your eyes. I don't, yeah, I don't it anything. was uh, it was a hundred degrees or more every day of July. Wow! Wow! Well, I will be in Dallas uh, at the end of August, so yeah, uh, hopefully gonna, it cools off a little bit by then, but I know it and won't. I think I, I'm going to try to come up there and see you, right? I, I hope so. I know uh, I know your your boy Enrique is, is going to be there, yeah. uh, trying to be there with his t- uh, TMDSAS team yeah. as well, learn about how to podcast better. That's yeah. the goal. Yeah. That's the goal. And our newest advisor, Courtney Lewis, straight from Burrell College of Osteopathic Medicine as their director of admissions. Courtney, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm the woman that does need an introduction. So yeah. thank you for, <laughs> for now, for now. Uh, although I, I think that will change very shortly as we, uh, oh, we continue to expose you to more students and they'll be like, oh my gosh, we want more of Courtney, uh, which is already happening. So um, we are here to answer your questions. Go to mapped.tv, mappd.tv to ask your questions. We'll bring them up and we'll answer them to the best of our ability. And hopefully give you some motivation, some encouragement, some information to uh, guide you on your path. So, let's rock and roll. JJ, hello. Thanks for doing this. My question is about the ACOMIS experience section. It says to write, quote, description slash key responsibilities. Do you still recommend storytelling for these descriptions? So, here's where there may be some conflict among us. It'll be interesting to see what uh, what Courtney says. Um, 
I'm a big fan of anecdotes. It was 600 characters that you get. Um, why is that a question of <laughs> the 600 characters that you get for a Comus? There is an opportunity for a little anecdote to show some impact, to show who you are. And you still need to show a little bit about the position um, and some reflection on that position, which I think a lot of people take my storytelling um, kind of, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? my storytelling recommendation a little bit too far and then they don't leave room for reflection uh, or anything else. Uh, Courtney, as, as uh, the former director of admissions at an osteopathic school that used a Comus, 600 characters, what, what are your thoughts on that experience uh, section? How, how do students best utilize that area? No, I agree with you. I think you're right. It's an opportunity to, you know, make sure you have reflections in there, put a brief description of what you did. But I do think that there is opportunity to kind of show us what was gleaned out of it and, and story tell just a bit on, on the experience itself. So I, I'm on board. I, I align with you on that. Woohoo! Yeah. It's, it just seems like it's so obvious to me that, you get 10,000 applications. You don't need to read 10,000 activity descriptions of everyone who was a scribe saying, as a scribe, I did X, Y, Z. As a scribe, here is the impact that I had on, on the patients and how I increased patient flow and productivity and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's the obvious stuff. Go, I need to go further than that. I need to see you in that. And so, to me, it's just so obvious that it's like, why is that not standard uh, accepted practice, but mm-hmm. not everyone agrees and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Not everyone uh, is right. Like me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and next question. <laughs> <clears throat> Raquel, how does one write a letter of intent? Mm. Dr. Wright. Yes. Let's talk about writing. Um, mm-hmm. This one's meant for you. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let, let's first talk about, what is the goal of a letter of intent and should one be sent? Mm-hmm. And then let's yeah. talk about how to write one. Yeah, I, I think uh, there, there is a time and a place for a letter of intent. Um, I think that, uh, you know, um, medical schools, when they're in making admissions office, offers, particularly as late, later in the cycle, uh, it is nice to know that a student is still interested, that they're still engaged in, in wanting to come to your school, et cetera. And so I think a letter of in- intent can be, um, can be productive uh, at that point. Uh, I always say that a letter regardless of what it is to to a medical school or an email we should say, you know potentially say is uh, should be short to the point uh, don't go on and on uh, I've seen a, a letter of intent that was two pages long single spaced and, and they went into so many details about about the school and what attracts them to the school and, and you know and, and that's nice you can do that but in a short way I think it needs to be short to the point. I still am interested in your school. If you um, make me an offer, I will come. Uh, you know, that kind of letter in their file can be helpful uh, to know, you know, what their intentions are. Uh, now, if you're sending a letter of intent to every school that you're on their waiting list 
or you're mm-hmm. sending in every, you know, to every school that you, you know, applied to, uh, then that begs the question, you know, really, what is your intent here? Your intent is to get in somewhere. So for you to say, then, uh, I would really love to come to XYZ Medical School for these reasons. That, there, there can be an ethical, you know, sort of dilemma there. But, but you know, in, in the situation where you're on several waiting lists and you are interested and, and, or whatever, then I think it's appropriate. It just needs to be short to the point. Yeah. Short to the point. I think uh, that's, that's a, a key trait that, that I think students miss out on, whether it's sending us DMs, sending mm-hmm. us emails, mm-hmm. sending us, it's like just tomes and walls of text, yes, yes. short to the point. We yeah. don't need your whole backstory. If we, if you get right to your question, then we can ask for the relevant information potentially. And you're much, much more likely to get a response from us, especially mm-hmm. if you're just kind of pinging us on, on social media or sending a just a one-off random email mm-hmm. through our website. Mm-hmm. Um, it, just th- those walls of text are, are immediate like no's for me. Yeah. Like, I'm, and, I'm not going to look. And I would say uh, to, to when, when, when I say get to the point, what I would do is I would get to the point early in the email. Uh, you know, in the first sentence or two, explain what you're doing, and then you can uh, clarify later, you know, in, in later text. But don't wait until the end of the email to say, and therefore, my, I would come to your school if you made an offer. Say that up front. You know, get that in the fr- first sentence or two uh, so that they know exactly what you're, what you're communicating. Yeah. Easy peasy. And same thing, actually, uh, Courtney, a good, a good opportunity to bring up what we saw yesterday, where there are secondary prompts that potentially don't give you a character count limit. And, and we saw as we were reviewing a secondary essay in Application Academy last night, it was a wall of text. What, what was your response to that? Too long, didn't read. <laughs> <laughs> TLDR. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, when they leave it open-ended like that, you don't want to leave it, you know, just a couple of sentences. It needs to be over a couple of paragraphs. If you have something important to say that that is uniquely you and, and provides information, but when it is pages long and it's just one of the prompts on a secondary, it's questionable, you know, if, if this person can really edit down, pare it down, if this was... Um, the most well thought out choice for how much content. And when you're reviewing thousands and thousands of applications, it just, you look at that and you already just kind of go like this. And it's unfortunate because I'm sure it's very important and it took a tremendous amount of time to put down, but it's, it's a bit yeah. daunting. When it's it, that and long. it's, it's actually interesting because like the, the amount of time that it took to me is less than it's it's to me it reads as lazier than giving me a nice concise edited succinct document I, there's a, a a saying that i that i love about kind of preparation in that way of like a public speaker being offered a, a speaking slot and the 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 company or whatever is like hey we we have a a spot for you to speak um it's next week how much time do you need to prepare and the speaker's like well how long is my spot if the spot's an hour i can do that now if the spot is 10 minutes i'm gonna need a week to prepare for a nice Mm -hmm. succinct 10 minute presentation Mm -hmm. and i think when we see that wall of text i immediately go to 
you didn't really spend much time on thinking through what you wanted to say. So you said everything. Mm-hmm. Just vomit yep. all over the page. Yeah. 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 Um, I agree with everything you're saying, but I'm going to offer a tip because I also tend to write like that, at least for first drafts. And in fact, I refer to my first draft of things as the puke draft, the vomit draft, right? Just stream of consciousness from brain to typing, right? Um, so what I recommend for anyone listening who's going, oh, no, I think that's me sometimes is go ahead and write that draft, right? And then start editing. You will feel better if you get it all on paper, but then use your empathy and start thinking about what does my reader really need? What can, what can I cut? What is the key takeaway that I need them to have? Um, so so it's, it's okay if that's a starting point. That's just not your end point. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Andrew asks, for TMDSAS, many schools are using Casper as a pilot program. Do you think they will emphasize Casper scores or take it with a grain of salt? Mm-hmm. So to me, pilot program, if, if that's specific language they're using, is they're not using it as a official data point in, mm-hmm. in their uh, admissions process. So they're, mm-hmm. they're probably just using it as a, a data point for later on for uh, research purposes to go, okay, we got our class. They went through first year perfectly fine. We got feedback from all of the preceptors. Um, this one student uh, has some abnormal. They're outside of the bell curve. What was their Casper score? Can we glean any uh, evidence from this? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it other than your normal preparation for Casper. Yep. <laughs> Uh, just a, a quick plug for MappedCon 2022, MappedCon.com, uh, M-A-P-P-D-C-O-N, uh, Dr. Kelly Dore, one of the co-creators of Casper, will be there speaking. So come prepared for lots of questions about Casper there. Mm-hmm. Uh, free virtual online event for you. All right. Zach, committee letter versus letter packet. Will this make a huge impact? All of my other letters are already in, just waiting to let my postback program know which one I prefer letter wise. <sighs> Courtney, what do you think? Any big difference here? Letter packet, committee letter? Honestly, you know, for for our process, no. I've I've heard kind of all kinds of ranges. I think the biggest thing would be if there is the option for a committee letter and you don't get one and somebody happens to know that you fell without, you know, outside of the range if they know a school, but that's the only thing I can think of that, that may have an impact. But for this specific circumstance, it doesn't seem like that would necessarily come into play. Um, you just want to make sure you have the right letters submitted so, yeah. and that they're strong is amazing. Definitely. Good question, Zach. Get those letters in. Jennifer, does speaking multiple language help medical school applications? Uh, one, it depends on the school. And two, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Depending on the location, if you're in a very... Uh, culturally rich area i know like tufts medical school is is kind of in chinatown in boston we have lots of when i was there as an intern we had lots of um mandarin and cantonese speaking um 
patience. And so that was an amazing language to have. If you're down in Texas, probably Spanish or mm-hmm. <laughs> most of the country, uh, mm-hmm. Spanish is an amazing extra language to, to speak. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. And some medical schools will say on their website that uh, it's, it's preferred. Mm-hmm. Ashley, what is a good timeline for writing your personal statement? Rachel, what do you, what do you think? Is it, is it ever too soon? Well, it's, I don't think it's ever too soon to ask yourself why medicine, which is the question that the personal statement is answering, right? Um, I think one of the most common things I hear from pre-meds is, well, I don't know why I want to be a doctor because I've just always wanted to be a doctor. Like, <laughs> no, that, that's probably not actually true, right? It, you didn't come out of the the womb wanting to be a doctor. So maybe you haven't remembered exactly when that happened or what started, but reflecting on it is good. Um, But in terms of actually sitting down, writing the essay, what I tend to recommend is, you know, Ashley, for your sake, I'm going to assume you're applying in 2023. If you're applying this year, then yeah, you're, you're behind. (laughs) But assuming you're (laughs) applying in 23 to start med school in 24, then I would say by January. So after the new year, you need to be starting that personal statement in earnest. Um, And Ryan has a great book. I think, uh, no, I was going to see if you can see it on my book, but you can't. But so there, here. No, you can. I can see it. It's right above your head. But this, oh, it is. That's, That's the way no, wrong one. Statement. Sorry, I yeah. have too many of them. Personal oh, okay. statement is not above my head. <laughs> um, uh, but so uh, in January of the year you're going to apply, uh, check out Ryan's book, check, check out some of our videos about personal statements and start sitting down and, and diving deep. And then it goes back to what I was just saying before about the puke draft. Right. Just ask, lock yourself in a room with Starbucks and type and type and type and type. Um, if you go look at Instagram as some of the big influencers from this year, you'll see a lot of them saying, like, figuring out why I wanted to be a doctor for like going to therapy or like all the stuff came up for me. It doesn't have to be bad. Right. It can be good or bad. Or, or, but like you'll you'll be surprised how tied it is to a lot of your formation. Um, so start thinking about that stuff. And if you're working on it off and on kind of January through March or April, that puts you in excellent shape to then at some point go, okay, that's, you know, I've I've worked on it and then I've taken a break and then I came back. And if you do that enough times, kind of January, February, March, April, then you can spend May working on your activities essays, working on pre-entering your application. Um, You know, if you're applying Texas, you essentially do your primaries and your secondaries at the same time. Um, So is it ever too early to write a PS? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't start now if you're 16. Um, That's your doogie. Um, But but most people, I think, start too late. Um, Mm -hmm. So so January Mm -hmm. is my ideal recommended time. Mm -hmm. And it's never too early to start uh, writing down thoughts inside of mapped app, all of your reflections and stuff in there. So gather those ideas, journal all of your activities that you're doing, your scribing, your MA, EMT experience, all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. Freaky fast family history, pre-writing secondaries. Are there multiple essay prompts given per school? Should we tell, quote, new stories that weren't in our personal statement? 
Scott, what do you think about pre-writing secondaries? What what does yeah. a, a general secondary essay look like or secondary application from? Yeah, I think they vary so much. Uh, you know, there are some, some medical schools where there's only one prompt. Uh, there are others. Uh, Duke is one uh, <laughs> uh, that, that we talk about. You know, pretty frequently. I also ran into one uh, from uh, Creighton uh, Medical School in Nebraska this week. Uh, that I mean, it, it had like ten prompts, and uh, and so they and they can vary from a thousand characters, two thousand characters, down to you know five hundred characters or three hundred characters. You know, depending on what the question is. So it really does vary uh, pretty pretty considerably uh, between medical schools. Um, the, the question really with regard to news stories, this comes up, you know, pretty frequently when you're, especially when uh, for AMCAS and TMDSAS, when you're doing the uh, most meaningful essay for one of those character descriptions, uh, one of those uh, extracurricular uh, descriptions, um, then, then the, the question says, well, I talked about this a lot in my personal statement. Now it's one of my most meaningful uh, experiences. Uh, I would recommend you, you can still do that. You can still have that. But, you know, I, I think uh, new, a new story would be advisable. You don't want to rehash the same thing over and over again. I, I've even seen it where it, the same thing comes up on a secondary as well. So here's the third time that it's come up. And if you can, and if this is an MA experience or an EMT experience, uh, one would think that you would have quite a few um, uh, stories that you can tell. Uh, so I definitely think that that's advisable. You don't want to re retell. I actually read one this week where the student had the exact same two sentence sequence in three different places, mm. you know, and I, and I went back and said, you can say the same thing, but uh, you know, content wise, but you've got to shift it up and, and, and really, you know, think a little bit uh, uh, deeper about this and how you want to talk about it. Uh, don't just, uh, don't just rehash the same thing. Yes. Love it. Um, all right. So Cameron asks, is there an advantage to submitting the primary a little bit later so that the verification delay allows more time to pre-write secondaries so they can be turned around faster when they do arrive? It's a very strategic question and, and one that I, I've actually had a conversation with recently. So I'll, I'll tackle this one um, where a student was submitting their application a little bit later, very recently. And typically what happens right now, just where we're at in the process, and I think TMDSAS is actually a little bit differently as I, I learned yesterday talking to a student. It sounds like a lot of the TMDSAS schools wait for verification before they send secondaries, which I wasn't aware of, but uh, there was a, a student I was talking to who's waiting, still still waiting for her essays or her secondary Um uh, applications from schools. So ACOMAS and AMCAS historically can see post kind of mid-June um, can see that you've applied to their school, even if your application is not verified yet and can potentially start sending you secondaries almost immediately. So you submit on a Monday on, on July 1st, let's say uh, on July 2nd, July 3rd, like you can start getting secondary essay, uh, secondary application requests. And that can get very overwhelming for students, especially if you added 20 schools, 30 schools, whatever it is. And so there's one potential strategy that I would recommend 
is submit your application, but only submit it to one school so that all of the other schools that you want to apply to aren't going to see that you've applied to them. So you get in line for verification, but you don't get overwhelmed with secondaries immediately. Mm -hmm. You may get that one secondary request. You can potentially start working on that. Then go back to AMCAS, go back to ACOMAS, whoever, and add three more schools as Mm -hmm. soon as you kind of feel ready and go, okay, I'm working on these three. And then add three more. And then add whatever that number is for you where you're not going to feel overwhelmed and and just want to give up because that's what a lot of students unfortunately do is they'll add 30 schools to their application they'll get completely inundated with with essays and then they'll just say screw it i'm i'm not even going to do all of these essays so they spent 42 dollars a school to add to their list and then they're not even spending the time to complete the secondaries because they get completely overwhelmed and burnt out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so submit your application but only to one school or to three schools or to five schools, whatever you think is, is reasonable and manageable right now. And then add more schools as you go. And I I would say that advice does not really apply to TMD SAS. Uh, I I think for TMD SAS, you want to apply everywhere you're going to apply, which I recommend, especially for Texas residents apply everywhere. Uh, But you want to do, you do it all at the same time. Uh, The processing speed of TMD SAS really is, is is so notably different than uh, than AMCAS that I think uh, uh, you don't really run into that kind of same same problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing. Uh, oh, sorry, Veronica. One more minute. <laughs> the other thing I'll add to that is so Ryan was sort of speaking to not letting yourself get overwhelmed, which I think is really important. But we talk about pre-write your secondaries so you could turn them around within a week or two because that's one potential data point that schools are looking at. But the other piece you have to consider is that's a relative data point like for yourself, but then there's also the data point of how many people applied before you and how early are they starting to give out interviews. So, you know, you can gain this a million ways, but the bottom line is the application is essentially an open book test. And the earlier you do each step of the test, the better your chances. Um, so, so don't rush, wait till you're ready, but but any any gaming you're doing in June, July, August is just gaming, right? The way to get ahead is to start long before the application opens. Yep. So just kind of keep that big picture thing in mind that you could you could micro strategy all summer long. And I do think what Ryan was saying about if getting three at a time helps you stay ahead in the water, then do that over thirty at a time. But ideally, you knew which thirty schools you were going to pick in May. And you had your primary golden and you were already pre-reading secondaries then. And if that's not you this year, I'm not shaming you. But for anyone for listening for next year, like it's more work than you think it is. The primary application is roughly 20 essays where your secondary is going to be ra- roughly four to five per school. Let's say you're applying to 20 schools. You're looking at another 80, 100 essays. Like plan early, space yeah. out the work. Yeah. And a good uh, time to mention just briefly to, to stay tuned. Um, if you don't follow us on email, follow our socials, et cetera, um, we're going to have a live secondary essay review day one-on-one with our advisors. Um, we'll have two days over the next two weeks uh, starting next week. So stay tuned for that. If, if you're still working on your secondaries, you have some doubt over the efficacy of your writing styles with secondary essays, um, we'll, we'll have some lots of time for students to, to work through and it'll be a live kind of review of your essays, just one-on-one. Mm-hmm. 
Kyle asks, what does an osteopathic medical school look for in an applicant that an allopathic school doesn't? Do they prefer people to know about OMM or talk about a holistic approach to medicine? Courtney, I, I can just picture all of the osteopathic deans and directors of admissions sitting around going, okay, those, those silly allopathic schools are just completely wrong about who they're looking for. And here's, here's who we want, right? That's what they're doing. Exactly. Um, I, I knew this one was coming my way. Um, can I just say, can we throw out that word holistic? Because I've heard it so many thousand times. Please refrain from using that word. We have all seen it. Allopathic and osteopathic mm-hmm. both look at their patients holistically and review. They don't, you know, MDs are not just looking at their patients as a symptom. Mm. I do, however, think that it is smart if you are applying to an osteopathic school to look up the tenets of osteopathic medicine. It's going to be really important. There's potential that you will be asked about them and how you plan to apply them or utilize them in your future practice. So very important. Give yourself um, the opportunity to research those and really think about, um, you know, the learning style, how it's going to be taught, how it's going to apply to you as a future physician. But there's not much difference in what we're looking for, to be honest. It's just going to be those additional 200 hours of OMM that you're going to learn, maybe a little bit different teaching philosophy in some aspects, but you go through the same residency and you apply to all of the same uh, practices and specialties. So it's very similar on the front end, too. Yeah, I, I have often said and, and I, I wonder like if, if the AOA kind of behind closed doors is like, darn it, that that Ryan Gray is, is uh, ruining our secrets. Like the, the whole holistic philosophy thing, I think, is the AOA's fault. It's it's a marketing angle that they've taken the, the American Osteopathic Association. It's a marketing angle that they've taken to kind of differentiate themselves. And I had, I don't know if he's still the president, but at the time that I interviewed him on the pre-med years, he was the president-elect of the American Osteopathic Association. So big dude, like head, head honcho at this organization. And I said, look, Bill, I was like, this whole holistic philosophy thing is is garbage, right? It's, it's to me as an, as an allopathic physician, all good physicians treat patients holistically. We look Mm -hmm. at everything in their life. If they come in with back pain, we don't just go, Oh, you have back pain. Here's your Percocet. Here's your whatever. Right. Uh, We look at why they had their back pain. Do they have uh, knee pain that's causing their back pain, right? The hip bones connected to the knee bone. Um, And he's like, Absolutely. 100%. All good physicians treat patients holistically. He said the one thing that potentially we um, we like to focus on from an osteopathic standpoint or think that we're a little bit potentially better at um, is that we introduce a lot of these ideas and philosophies a little bit earlier in the curriculum in the medical education. I'm like, okay, I'll I'll. I'll let you have that one. Um, so yes, the the whole argument, which is the most common and easiest and just superficial thing that students say is, I like the holistic philosophy. I'm like, oh God, no, please like go deeper. Need more, need more. So good. I'm glad uh, you heard it here, folks. Uh, Courtney Lewis, former director of admissions at an osteopathic medical school. Stop using the word holistic. Go deeper. What does that mean to you? Go read the tenants, all of that stuff. Um, reflect back on it for you as, a, as an applicant. 
Ryan Lee. I'm an upcoming freshman. Welcome. Maybe uh, Ryan would like a, a free uh, account at Mapped App uh, for Mapped App. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, what would you say about taking prereqs in the summer? This is the myth that will never die. <laughs> that mm-hmm. Taking prereqs in the summer is a bad thing and medical schools don't like it. <sighs> Scott, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think I, I agree that this is a it is a longstanding myth uh, that that they don't like it or that it's somehow substandard or you don't learn as much in the summer as you do in uh, you know other periods of, of time like a full semester, etc. Uh, I don't think any of that is necessarily true. Now, the one caveat to that that I would say is sometimes what happens in the summer is that a student is at X university, they go home for the summer and they are going to take the pre uh, some classes at a local university or a local community college. I think that if at all possible, you want to reserve your prerequisites taken at your home institution, uh, if at all possible. I don't think it's a good idea necessarily to take uh, some of your prerequisites, so for example, physics one at your university and physics two in the summer at the local community college at home. Uh, I think uh, I think that can, for some medical schools, cause some problems. Not that they wouldn't be acceptable, but it's just not optimal. It goes back to that my little uh, thing about optimal, acceptable, and and not acceptable uh, as, as the three choices. And I, and I think that while acceptable, uh, they are accredited institutions. They are uh, going to fit, uh, meet the prerequisites, you know, it, it, you know, checking the box, but is it, you know, what message does that send to the admissions committee about, you know, what you're doing um, and why you're doing it and, and, uh, you know, various questions that could come up. So I think if you're going to take summer classes, you know, take summer classes for some of the uh, elective courses that, that you have to take, like history or English or, you know, whatever other types of classes that your school might require um, might be a better bet than, than necessarily taking the prerequisites, especially if it's at a different institution. Yeah. What, what, where I think potentially the the origin of this myth potentially comes from, and, and yes, right, some some medical schools out there may want all of the prereqs at one college. I don't understand why. Whatever, like uh, that that kind of random micro kind of nitpicky stuff just mm-hmm. makes me angry. Um, but where where potentially this comes from is summer courses are typically accelerated, and yes. so students may struggle mm-hmm. taking organic chemistry right during a summer versus a normal semester and and they may struggle and, and get a worse grade and therefore yes it was a bad idea to take it during the summer but it's not because it was the summer it's because you got a worse grade than you potentially would have gotten if you took right. it during a fall or spring right mm-hmm. that's right yep right I agree with that. or it goes tough enough in 15 weeks can you do it in six maybe <laughs> yeah you know yeah uh jb hello my pre-med advisor said it's critical it's critical to have two semesters of upper level bio non-biochem before applying in the 2023 i'm studying for the mcat fall of 2022 and need that extra time to study is this critical rachel schools have prereqs 
um, oftentimes there are, are quote unquote hidden requirements, hidden curriculum kind of crap out there. What, what do you think about this critical statement here? Uh, yeah, that sounds like an advisor opinion that isn't necessarily a med school requisite. Um, so, so one thing I would say, JB, is if you have a mapped account, um, we have a list of all of the prereqs for all of the med schools. So you can enter the courses you've taken and we'll show you your percentage complete compared to those med schools because it does vary a little school to school. Um, so there are definitely some med schools that recommend upper level bio, not too many of them require it, although some do. Um, so you can, you can kind of make that assessment based on what the med schools are saying. Um, the other part of it is, is it critical because your advisor says so? And what are the consequences of not following your advisor? So, you know, my, my, my big picture advisor opinion is, that stuff shouldn't be micromanaged. Upper level bio is helpful for med school, but uh, you don't have to do it. Um, but if your advisor is saying do it or I won't give you the committee letter and you feel like you really need that committee letter, then it becomes another question. Um, so so cr- critical is subjective. Critical to who? Critical to what? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I, I asked that recently to uh, to someone posting on Facebook about um, I, for, I forget the what uh, about postbacks and and yeah. the the person posted oh well I, from my experience formal postbacks are are better I'm like better according to who for what like yeah. <laughs> I'm like where's that data from she's like she said I don't need data to have an opinion I'm like of course not it's Facebook I forgot I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Amado, Amado, Amado. Uh, how much does prior service count towards helping you get admitted into the Uniform Services University? So interesting question. I think you should go listen to an interview that I did with their director of recruitment, kind of their their director of admissions role. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, I forget. Um, but go go listen to that interview on the pre-med years. Um, oh, it's going to make me mad now. I can't remember his name. Uh, it was a great interview. I believe that question came up. And one of the biggest goals for applying to USIS is proving that you want to serve in the military, not I want to get paid to go to medical school, which unfortunately a lot of people are like, ooh, free med school. I'm going to apply to MD, PhD programs and they don't have any research. So they apply to USIS because they're like, oh, it's free to just click on this, right? I, I don't know if a lot of people know they don't charge <clears throat> charge you to, to add that one to your school list. And so people are like, I get paid to go to med school? Sweet. Um, but their goal is to create military physicians. And so if you have prior service, you already have this experience and and this evidence that shows that you have served your country and that you apparently want to keep serving. Uh, And so, yeah, I think it helps. Sagil. Uh, Aaron Segill is his name. There you go. Colonel Segill. Uh, Eustace, is it bad to make primary care for rural and minority patients a central focus as to why I want to pursue medicine in my personal statement? Or should I avoid emphasizing a single specialty? 
So this comes up a lot, Courtney. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our our general philosophy has always been um, the personal statement is why do you want to be a physician? Not necessarily what do you want to do as a physician? What are your thoughts here? I would agree with that. I, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing to mention where you could, you know, potentially see yourself going and and what you want to accomplish with that. But I agree. It's, it's supposed to be what kind of brought you to this point, wrapping up all of, you know, because we have all of the stats, we've got all of your experiences, and this is an opportunity to kind of tie that together and give us a narrative in conjunction with all of this other kind of numerical information that we're getting. And so I don't know if that should necessarily be the focus since that's not the question, Um, but it can be mentioned. And, and I don't think, you know, it would be a turnoff for any school, but definitely not the central focus. Yeah. I agree. and ideally, right. If, if Eustace is sitting here going, Hey, this is, this is what I'm interested in. Their activities are going to show that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's always advice that I would give whenever I was doing any type of coaching session or presentation was if you say that something drove you to medicine or you're really passionate about something, or there was a key experience what does your experience reflect? Did you do anything about it? Was there any action-based evidence that, that goes along with that? And so yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. It, it's really important. If you're going to say something is, is a driving force or you're really passionate about it and there's no evidence to tie it together to your experience, there's a disconnect there. And we do notice that because they are located very close to each other on the application system. Yeah. And as you're trying to tie things together and get a picture of this applicant, with all of the information that they've shared, you know, you can kind of key in on, on certain disconnects or certain things like that. Yeah. So let me add uh, uh, just a one thing to this conversation. And that is, you know, going back to the um, spending too much focus on a uh, a specific specialty. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit different when we talk about if somebody comes into it and says, I want to be an oncologist and I want to do oncology and that's all I want to do. And all my focus is on oncology as opposed to primary care. Primary care is, is broad enough and involves enough specialty choices that, and there's so much need for primary care that I think that's a little bit different for somebody. Now, whether it's the primary focus or central focus mm-hmm. of the application, I agree that, that I would not uh, go that direction. But I think focusing in on, at some level, why you're interested in, in, in primary care as a part of this conversation you're having in the personal statement of, of this dialogue with yourself, even potentially, uh, of, uh, of why uh, you want to go into medicine, if that is focused on sort of relationship building and longitudinal care and, you know, things like that, as opposed to some other specialty that is really a, a very focused specialty. Yeah. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. And, and a lot of medical schools, one of their missions is, is primary care focus, right. which gets right. a little generic because everyone's like, oh, I'm interested. But uh, it, it, if, again, as Courtney mentioned, actions speak louder than words. Yes, if your activities support this thing that you're trying to say. But, yeah, I, I think there's a balance between making it a central theme or right. including something maybe in a conclusion where they're right. talking about what their goals are. Correct. Well, and, and just to follow up on that, just remember that your personal statement goes out to every school that you've designated. Yeah. Hopefully you have done your research, but you you may apply to schools where maybe this isn't necessarily what they're looking for in a school. 
Maybe you shouldn't apply there. But if you do, just know that you've kind of isolated yourself just by putting that content in your personal statement and not keeping it more general and kind of answering what brought you to this point. Um, and so just remember, sometimes there's prompts for that in secondaries or there's other opportunities. Just be mindful of the content and know that it's going out to every school that has a different mission and, and you want to cover the most bases would be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm really glad you said that Courtney, because the piece I was going to add sort of dovetails to that, which is, you don't need a theme in your personal statement because the theme is why medicine Mm -hmm. and it's not what kind of doctor are you going to be? Right. Right. So feel free to talk about any experiences or passions that are tied to your why medicine, but that's very different than I'm going to skip over why medicine and instead answer this other question about the kind of doctor I'm going to be. So stay on prompt. Yep. (laughs) Jordan asks Nontrad here. Welcome Nontrad. Um, Hoping to apply in the 2023 cycle and still working my day job. I had some clinical experience around 600 hours and shadowing around 2018. Should I prioritize this over completing MCAT slash prereqs? So here's the game, Rachel. Uh, Let's throw this to you. So the game is... There's a lot of crap you have to do to apply to medical school. And unfortunately, it's not a checkbox where it's like, okay, I got my 600 hours, my 200 hours of shadowing. Uh, what's, what's the next thing I have to do? And it's more of this kind of ongoing, the stone always rolling down the hill kind of mentality. What should Jordan do here? Because it's, it's hard for a non-trad, especially if he's working a day job. My assumption is they got bills to pay, unfortunately. Bolting is, is a, a miserable part of this process. Yeah, right, right. Uh, ooh, Veronica and I are fighting over the cameras again. There we go. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Jordan, I mean, my first thought is congratulations. This is a lot you're carrying, so good job and keep it up. Um, it worries me that you have not had clinical or shadowing experience in four years, going to be five years by the time you apply. So uh, I, I think you've got to figure out a way to get some. Right. And um, it has been tricky in COVID times because it's been harder to get volunteer work than regular paid work. But of course, regular paid work usually has much more demanding schedules. So, you know, things are opening up a little bit. They come and go. Maybe what you're finding is clinical volunteering where you're just doing a few hours a month. But I think I think you got to get back in it. Um, I'm saying that overshadowing. They both matter. But honestly, it's usually easier to find shadowing once you have some clinical work, because that's where you can meet physicians who might say yes to you. Um, so I would I would think about the, the direct patient care experience part first. Um, should you prioritize this over completing MCAT prerequisites? I don't know how many prerequisites you have left to take. Um, you really only have two semesters left, right? You've got uh, fall semester and spring semester, you can continue to take prerequisites in the year that you're applying. Um, but a lot of the prereqs you have to take for med school, you also need to take to do the MCAT well. So you'll have to think strategically about which prereqs could I take in those two semesters while I'm applying to med school so that if I get accepted, I have them complete. Um, physics two, for example, doesn't, some of it shows up on the MCAT, but not a lot. Um, 
And then I also don't have any idea how much MCAT prep you're going to need. Did you take a diagnostic and get a 473, in which case you might need a ton of work? Did you take a diagnostic and get a 505, in which case maybe you don't need as much work? So this is one of those insufficient data questions. Um, I think you need to do a little more deep diving and map this out with the exact details that you have. Um, and then I also think that you need to potentially consider that you're actually applying in the 24 cycle. I'm not saying you have to, I don't know enough. I'm saying this seems like a lot of work to get done and it's August. So September, October, November, December, January, plus five months. So you've got 10 months to get all that stuff done. That's, that's a lot. Um, so map it out. Good luck. Map it out. No pun intended. <laughs> Alec, Alec asks, when I review medical school mission statements to determine, quote, fit, most of them seem to be the same. Yes, yes, they do. Yeah. Helping understand, uh, helping underserved next generation of medical professionals, blah, 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 et cetera. How do I distinguish them? <sighs> Courtney, when, when you were helping craft or, or helping massage or when you looked at the Burrell, uh, Burrell's mission statement every year and go, is this still our uh, on brand? Is this still what we want to say? Do you go and look at what every other school is doing and just say, let's just copy theirs because that works. <laughs> what, what's going on behind the scenes? Because it's true. I hear this all the time that it's like, Oh my gosh, they all sound alike after a while. No, I mean, honestly, we don't. Um, I think everybody wants to find students that are happy there and that fit that. And, you know, have kind of goals that are aligned with the school. I think that there's a couple of points that maybe you could look at to know how the school is delivering and, and kind of figure out what they actually prioritize or value or, or what is a fit to them. Um, but we, we don't look at each other's and just say, you know, let's, let's be really vague. Let's all say the same thing and confuse everyone. I think we just want, um, you know, we we all know what what the deficits are in our country and what we're hoping to to help with and and put students towards so i'm not surprised that a lot of them are the same but but we understand that it is kind of hard to to do that at, at the end of the day all of the medical schools there are training to a certain endpoint and so and that endpoint is being a a good uh, physician out in the community taking care of patients and there there isn't enough differentiation of what that endpoint looks like to to help differentiate a mission statement or a vision statement other than some some values and, and other things so that's what makes it really hard and i think students are disappointed with that um, and so while looking at mission statements looking at vision statements looking at values are important the better thing to do, again, going back to what we were just saying about kind of the central theme of an application or what a student is saying, is go look at actions versus yes. the words on, on the yes. uh, website. Mm -hmm. Go look at news articles. Uh, use, use Google. Type mm -hmm. in a school website. Click on news and see what's, what the school is doing. How are they showing up in their community? What, what's showing up in the news? Mm -hmm. If they have a blog, see what they're writing about, what they're talking about. Out. Go to YouTube and, and see what kind of videos are out there that they're producing that other people are producing uh, around that. Go on to Instagram, go on uh, to TikTok, to, to wherever else, Facebook, 
and and search for students potentially that are at the school and see what they're doing. How are they acting as part of that community? Because every student there is a represent uh, a representative of that school, and and what are they doing out in the community to to show who they are? And and that's where um, school uh, students don't like when I say this. Like building a school list takes a lot of time yeah. because yeah. you have to do a lot of research, and and unfortunately students just shortcut it and go, "What does the MSR say with stats?" <laughs> and there's my school mm-hmm. list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would I would add one thing to that is. If it's a public institution, you can uh, potentially access their budget, yeah. follow the money, where they spend their money. And uh, if, if they say primary care is a, a, a very important thing for them, yet they're not investing in primary care activities and they're mm-hmm. investing in lots of research activities, then that tells you something about what really what the values are at that school, regardless of what they say. That's interesting. It, it may be a fun piece of content to, to like – do that uh mm-hmm. pull, pull up um uh, i forget it's like an s90 or something mm-hmm. 90 mm-hmm. uh the nonprofit paperwork right. that mm-hmm. um nonprofits have to submit and look look through that and, and help mm-hmm. students understand what we're look what they're looking at yep. we can do that with the double amcs uh yeah, <laughs> as well. right. see what they're doing with their 500 million dollars of net assets mm-hmm. uh or gross assets uh one asks asking for a friend right. always a friend uh is is submitting an application for med school in august too late when I have a great GPA, MCAT, and extracurriculars. See, Juan, Juan ruined the question when I have a great. <laughs> <laughs> you like, you oh. outed yourself, Juan. Uh, <laughs> I forgot to get those pronouns going. <laughs> <laughs> um, August. Mm. What, do, what do you think? Courtney, you, you potentially have a little bit of a different view because the DO timeline is a little bit skewed from, from a typical MD timeline. Yeah, actually, I I probably do differ on this one um, because if somebody does rolling admissions and they do have a lengthier timeline, I know, um, at least for the school that I was at, our our timeline was definitely lengthened. So August would not be considered late for us, but I do know other DO schools that wrap up, um, you know, interviews by October. And so August would be late for them. And so it, it goes back to doing your research on schools, looking at their timeline. I know at least for DO schools, the choose do the choose DO Explorer will tell you what the suggested um, kind of for best consideration timeline is. And so you can reference that because we're pretty transparent there on when we'd like to see applications come in for, you know, because it's not just getting your application in, it's then where are you in queue for screening? And then from there for, you know, review for an interview. And then if interviews are booked up by other people, 90 days in advance, then you're there and then you have to go to a committee and then you have to go to a dean and then you have to get an offer. So, you know, just saying August, that's why it does start to get a little bit late. But I would just research the schools and and look for the best consideration deadline because they do differ, at least for DOs, pretty extensively. Yeah. I, I love that transparency. I don't think I've seen that as part of the Choose DO Explorer, but um, uh, transparency, that, that's how, Courtney, you and I connected at, at a conference when I was talking about transparency. Uh, I, I think having that transparency from medical school saying, look, I, I know we have a deadline because we have to have a deadline for, for when we say we will stop accepting applications, 
but here's ideally where you should be looking at submitting your application. I think, um, I think it's very disingenuous and uh, kind of fraudulent almost if I were to be a little bit extreme for, for medical schools that, uh, and, and actually that was part of my presentation uh, at that conference was I had my team look at school websites and I forget the, the data at this point, but a, a, good chunk of them just don't talk about rolling admissions, what it is, why it's important. Um, and, and to me, I think that's very uh, deceiving, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And I would just add one thing to for, for Juan, and I would say, Juan, whether or not... For Juan's going, friend. For Juan's yeah, oh, friend. I'm sorry, for Juan's friend. <laughs> uh, I would say that um, the only guarantee in the process is if you don't apply, you're not going to get in. Yep. So if here we are in August and for whatever reason you, you know, you're, you're, you haven't applied yet. And you, so yes, it may be a little bit later in the process and stuff, but if you're okay with the idea that it's a little bit later and you may not get in this year and you'll be a reapplicant next year, which is not a disadvantage uh, in, uh, in uh, necessarily a disadvantage in the process. If you're okay with that, you know, go for it. You know, the, you know, especially if, as you said, you've got a strong GPA and MCAT and extracurriculars and stuff. My guess is that there's going to be some schools that will, will, will still, you know, um, uh, be interested in you, even though it's a little bit later in the process. So for, for those that are planning ahead and stuff, yeah, you want to plan ahead and, and apply as early as possible. But specifically for you, Juan, I would say, or for your friend, I would say, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, if you want to go for it, go for it and understand the consequences and stuff of what that might mean. But uh, yeah. the only guarantee is if, if you don't apply, you're not going to get in. Yeah. The, the very common, what are my chances question? I, I love the response. It's 0% if you don't apply and it's right. more than zero if you do apply. Right. Um, mm-hmm. at, right. at, that, at this point, it's, it's time and money and, and you know the risks and uh, make it happen. Okay. Well, friends, our time has unfortunately come to an end. These sessions fly by um, <laughs> and They're that's like sad. That. I, I, I love hanging out here at, yeah. um, and Every answering day. questions. Yep. So uh, if you like talking with us, asking us questions, but you're a little bit shy. You don't want to uh, use your friend uh, to ask the question. Um, go to mapped.com. Check out our mapped app pro service. So mapped app is m- almost free for everything. Track your activities, track your GPA, all of that fun stuff. But mapped app pro lets you chat with one of us. And so you can enter all, all of your information and right inside of the web-based platform, you can, you can start a conversation with us and ask some questions. Use that promo code 30 days free to, to use mapped app pro for free for 30 days. If you like it, uh, you can continue using it. It's $10 a month or $90 a year with that. I hope everyone has a wonderful, wonderful week. Um, Courtney, Scott, Rachel, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Um, from all of us here at the Mapped team, thank you uh, for all the students hanging out. We'll see you next week. Peace. Bye. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.